Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fuckinistas? What the fuckistanis? What the fuck Ricans? What's happening? I am Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Uh, if you're new here, uh, just hang out. Uh, you'll get the hang of it. Uh, yeah, there's some things you'll like, some things you won't like, but you, you know, just hang out. I have uh, a good show today. I have uh, uh, my buddy. Uh, Ron Funches, the comedian, stopped by for a few minutes, going to go on tour, wanted to uh, say hello and tell people about that. He's a very funny guy. I got Jake Fogelnest on the show, who I've known since he was a child, kind of, when his dad used to bring him to comedy shows in New York. But uh, some of you know him from MTV back in the day and from his podcast and from Public Access, I believe. And uh, he's had he's had quite a journey, little Jake who I'm sure doesn't like being called Little Jake. But, uh, but you know, me and Will Arnett were talking about him, and I realized, well, fuck, you know, I got to get gotta get Jake in here. I got to go. I'm going to New York uh, later this week because uh, we're doing the BookCon event uh, this Saturday. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the new WTF book, Waiting for the Punch. You can get an advanced copy of the book if you're there. I believe I'll sign them. I believe that's the deal. For tickets, you can go to thebookcon.com. For tickets, me and uh, uh, my producer and business partner, Brendan McDonald, will be there talking the WTF stuff. I tend to like to be uh, in, in front of audiences. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to throw anyone aside to get to uh, the front. <laughs> That's not part of my uh, agenda, you know. Yeah, hey, there's a lot of people in front of me. I'm going to throw them aside and step up. Not going to do that because uh, it'll be it'll be my show, so it'll be a little it'll be a little easier to fight those impulses uh, to be uh, uh, an eight year old boy. I'm being cryptic, but not so much. Uh, you know, I, I don't. Uh, it, 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 the book con will be fun. It'll be good. Uh, I like to talk, as some of you may have uh, noticed. That was a, that was the fun thing about being in Chicago doing that. Uh, joe swanberg thing was that you know improvising it's interesting when you do scenes that you have to do over yet you're encouraged to improvise and you can just keep making shit up but i do want to read a couple of emails because sometimes i don't always know i don't always understand people's lives or you know because i don't live them but i got an email and it's just from a guy 
It says, unimportant mail from some dumb foreigner. Hey, man, I'm writing this at 6 a.m. with no intention of sleeping yet. I just had to say that you are my new idol, man. You just made me understand my anger and also myself over the course of the last six months, gradually getting more and more time on my daily schedule. I started with Thinky Pain, and now I'm obsessed with these podcasts. Now I'm listening to the one with Jason Schwartzman, and you just said the word gratitude, and that made me want to thank you, man. You changed some Turkish 21-year-old fuck-ups life for better. Thank you for that. Just keep doing what you're doing. Sincerely, some kid in the Middle East. You know, there just seems to be certain things that, uh, that we all share to one degree or another. Some of us don't have the same flaws as others, but uh, some flaws that we have speak to other people's flaws, and they're all innately human. It's a small... Small spectrum, really, on how you handle your humanity. You know, gratitude is good. Uh, uh, humility is good. Uh, empathy is good. Charity is good. Mercy is good. Um, generally, shutting the fuck up is good sometimes. I would, uh, I would stay away from belligerent, ignorant, immoral, willfully ignorant, proudly dumb, hostile, bullying you know the stuff we're getting known for lately so this is another i you know i've got to own up to this shit i got to own up to this shit and i and i i'd like to clear some stuff up i'll use this email to address it uh subject line i'm addicted to nicotine lozenges because of you hello mark I've been addicted to nicotine lozenges for two years now. When I was 18, I picked up a canister of two milligram nicotine lozenges because you had made them sound appealing. At first, the lozenges improved my cognition and suppressed my appetite. But after about eight months, they'd begun to lose their effectiveness. To satisfy my increased nicotine tolerance, I began purchasing four milligram mini lozenges as opposed to the half dollar size lozenges I'd been sucking before. Nicorette is the most expensive brand, so I've been lowering myself to Walgreens and CVS brands, which lack the distinctive sting of Nicorette brand lozenges. I do not wish to encourage your listeners to emulate my emulation of you. By and large, nicotine lozenges have made me perpetually dehydrated, such that I constantly feel thirsty and irritable. I cannot sustain concentration for very long because of those chronic pangs of thirst that accompany prolonged lozenge abuse. Have you experienced this as well? I find that I have to drink two glasses of water for every lozenge that I drop into the sewer of my mouth. If I don't, the sensation of thirst overwhelms me. I assume you are using mini lozenges since the larger ones obstruct speech to an intolerable degree. I'm going to try to quit them because of this dehydration problem. Please comment on this. Perhaps it would be good of you to prevent dumb and impressionable people like myself from romanticizing nicotine lozenge addiction. Best in all that, Sam. Interview a scientist at some point. Sam, I am sorry if you feel that I romanticized nicotine lozenges. I, I understand that, you, you know, if you like me and you look up to me, you think, I, I don't think there's anything cool about nicotine lozenges. Uh, they are a practical solution to a problem uh, of addiction to nicotine for me. I usually recommend them to people who want to get off cigarettes. Obviously, the best thing to do is stop doing everything. I personally like the little buzz that I get from nicotine lozenges, and I've recently been thinking about quitting them again. 
but it's primarily because, you know, I have an addictive personality and I have a constant itch in my soul that somehow uh, permeates to just beneath my skin that makes uh, life difficult and unbearable. And I know what it feels like to not have that, but I eventually find my way around to, uh, you know, I, I'm a hyper caffeinated, nicotized motherfucker. And I don't feel great about it. I didn't mean to romanticize it. For me, it's just the most practical way and the safest way to ingest nicotine, which is the one of two, occasionally three, if you count my dick, addictions that I have. So I apologize. I didn't mean to be your nicotine lozenge, Keith Richards. Uh, you're lucky it wasn't heroin or cocaine or alcohol that I was romanticizing or, or, or painfully addicted to, uh, yet, uh, in enough denial to make it sound like an amazing way of life. I don't, I don't feel like I romanticize these things and, and, and I'm not, and I do have a certain amount of shame about it and I apologize. You got strung out on them. It, it sounds like you weren't even a smoker, but, uh, so I apologize for that. And, and I will say to the rest of you. If you're not trying to quit smoking cigarettes, don't just start nicotine lozenges. Don't start smoking either if it's possible. Addiction is a bitch no matter what you're addicted to. If you've got the bug, uh, you're going to have it on you for the rest of your life. And it's an ongoing struggle. And you got to negotiate with the monkey if you want to keep living. So... That said, I apologize, Sam, and good luck getting off them. And by the way, just to make it clear, I do not uh, use the mini lozenges. They dissolve too quickly and make me nauseous. I do not experience dehydration. I do have some stomach, uh, 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 some gassiness, I believe, because of some of the things they, that composes the nicotine lozenge. But that is about it for the downside. And I do rely on them uh, in the morning and throughout the day to keep me level, which is my problem. It's not a romanticizing thing, I, I, and I didn't mean to mislead you, okay? I'm not here to promote uh, addiction or addictive things. It's just what I do to stay sane and keep me off worse addictive things. All right, Sam? I'm sorry. So Funch has dropped by. Uh, you know, he's heading out on tour starting this week in San Francisco and he'll be out, uh, out all over the country through August. Uh, you can go to ronfunches.com to see his tour dates. And this is me and, uh, Ron Funches here in the... Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Garage. Look at you, Ron Funches. Hi. Look at you. You're all svelte. Thank you. Got your hair cut. Yeah. 
You're looking, you're looking good. Thank you very much. Mark. I haven't seen you in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. I, you know, I just uh, the last time I talked to you was in this garage. Yeah. I don't even remember what was going on, but not much. Yeah, I think I just probably moved here recently. I think it was me and uh, Ian, we were living together. Right. I think it was like a Portland thing. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then like within days, <laughs> <laughs> within days you're everywhere. Yeah. Big star, out of nowhere. Yeah, sea level canceled sitcom star. Yeah. But yeah, but dude, I mean, come on, man. I mean, it, that thing ran for a little while. Yeah, and then you got on another thing. Yeah. What was the What's the other thing? Uh, it's powerless, but it also canceled now too. So. But now you're a seasoned veteran of being canceled. Yeah, I do like that because I feel like that's fun because you just realize like it's just like <laughs> like being on a sports team. And you're like, oh, I'll just get on the next draft, get yeah. on the next team. Well, what was the like uh, the whole like uh, the undateable thing? That ran for what? How three, many? Three seasons. Three seasons. So mm -hmm. like what? Thirty six or mm -hmm. what? Thirty nine. Nailed it. Thirty six. Was it thirty six? Mm -hmm. And the, the struggle of that was you just got cast on that, mm -hmm. right? You yes. went out for it. How'd that happen? Went out for it. Audition, audition. Call back, call back. Got it. And it seemed like it was going to be a fun show that would last a long time. But then I remember there were struggles mm -hmm. and there was some uh, campaigning. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was a change where all of a sudden there'd be a live performance yeah. in the middle of a show. Yeah, well, I mean, it became an all-live show. Yeah. We, did, uh, we would do two episodes, East Coast, West Coast, all live with musical guests. Yeah, it became like a circus because that's what they were wanting at the time. They were leaning towards that, that Neil Patrick Harris uh, live. They were doing a lot of live events. Like, I've never been involved with a, a big network sitcom. Was there a feeling that, like, things were going south? Or was it a feeling like we're doing new things? Um, I mean, I think the the great thing about Bill Lawrence is that he was uh, not necessarily always honest, but very honest in his bullshitting. Yeah. Like, like you knew where you stood, and right. he would tell you what numbers we needed to hit. Yeah, and, yeah. And if we weren't hitting them, you'd yeah. know. And yeah. So it was just like, well, I'm going to do what I can to keep this on. We aren't hitting the numbers, but we the network likes us with the people who did watch. I mean, to, to, till this day, I've been on the, you know, the other show that got canceled since. I go out on the road. It's never about the new show. It's about Undateable. Right. People still tweet to me about Undateable. People liked that show. Right. I even had um, meetings with people in, in the network where they're like, oh, man, if we actually got the ratings that you guys were getting for that show, we'd be happy. Right, like, right. Because, you know, things have just changed. So it did. So it gave you a following. Yeah. 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 Like you, you people come out and see you because of it. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's good. That's helpful. Yeah. And what was the, the other show that got canceled? Uh, Powerless. It was a DC com back on NBC, DC comic books sitcom. Vanessa Hudgens, Danny yeah. Cody. How many did. that? How many, how many did you do that? Uh, we, we did. We taped twelve. They aired ten. And that was it. Yeah. Ugh. But that's sort of it's it, like it is a little heartbreaking, isn't it? You get into a momentum with a crew of people. You got writers. You're on set. It's almost like a a play is opening, and then you know you kind of go through it and you do it, and you're like, let's see what happens. And you're yeah. like, yeah, that that family's over. <laughs> well, I just kind of like you just do anything and you put it out there, and then you you like. To me, as long as you tell me what the, what I'm supposed to get, and if we don't get it, I just go okay. Like, yeah. And they were like, "These are the ratings we need to get." We didn't get them, right? So I'm like, oh, "Okay." Do I think that the, you know 
should the, the show could have been something if they gave it a more of a chance? It yeah. could have been, but it could have not been. And, it, and also, it's not on you. All of it's yeah. not, the burden isn't on you. No, at the end of the day, I feel like a sports player and the fact that I'm like, I play for the my name on the back yeah, of the yeah. jersey. I just want to be good. <laughs> if Number one, yeah. Ron Funches. Yeah, if I'm good in this, if I'm good in that, people will just know I'm good. I don't yeah. necessarily... It's just so what I, what I've learned is how hard it is to make anything. Yeah. So I'm like, man, if you guys think it sucks, who cares? At least we made it. It's right. awesome. Right. Yeah. So how's your life changed in the last couple of years? I mean, what did you, did you buy a big house? Did you go spend all your money or what? <laughs> no, I have a little two bedroom apartment. I stay with my son. Um, I mean, I guess that would be the biggest change from last time is that my son wasn't living with me full time, and now is he, he? he is. Yeah. And how's that going? Um, it's fun. It's a balance. Um, to me is probably the best thing for me because I can be a little adrift if I don't have something right. to anchor me down. I and kinda... he's got uh, autism, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, uh, it was kind of, the last time I talked to you, it was sort of, it felt like uh, you were on top of it and, you know, you were working with your ex and and, and uh, he, the kid was, uh, uh, it, it was challenging, but how, how has that changed? How old is he now? Uh, he's 14 now. Oh, wow. So, so we're dealing with a whole new set of challenges of him just being kind of a moody little teen as oh, yeah? well as being uh, uh, dealing with the autism and dealing with, you know, just him masturbating and stuff like that. <laughs> just normal stuff, but then also... How do you do? How do you discuss that with him? Just tell him to keep it in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Not outside? Not outside. <laughs> Does he get it? He, it took him a little bit, but he gets it now. He gets it now, but he's indignant. If you're in his space, he's like, this is my area for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's hard to... Uh, I, I, is there a, uh, like, in terms of the the autism, I mean, mm-hmm. how does that impact, you, you know, the the reasoning? I mean, when you reason with him like that about, does what does he, does he not understand, like, why can't I just do it? Or uh, do- one of the best things about him is that he's very rule-based. He loves rules. Oh, like, he does. As long as you give him clear-cut rules that make sense, yeah. he'll follow them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like, he's like, fine, that's fine. The same thing we do with Soda Saturday. He's uh-huh. only allowed soda on Saturday, only allowed to masturbate in the house. He uh-huh. gets it. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you're going on tour yeah like now what are you doing were you doing clubs i'm doing um or small theaters small theater oh yeah my first little small theater tour like uh like uh, where are you going like I'm, which ones i'm going to uh so i'm going to the bell house in new york that's good the biggest one i'm doing is june 10th at the wilbur in boston and that's so, about 1100 yeah um i opened for john mulaney there and opened for aziz there and i've always wanted like when i, I was like this is the most beautiful it's a great place, place. I've yeah. I've ever been. And so, so this is like the, uh, the the test run. You're going to see what you can do. We're going to see what I can do. See where I can pull, see where I don't pull. Where else are you going? Atlanta? Atlanta, Smith Old Bar, uh, the Trocadero. I don't know if oh, I'm pronouncing that. Okay. Trocadero. Yeah. Trocadero. That's great. In Philly? Yeah. That's great room. It's a very odd old theater. Okay. It's sort of like it's got a weird old history and you can feel it. Nice. And it's like open, like the theater, like the stage is there. But for like in my recollection, for some reason, you can kind of see backstage. It's all sort of open. And it's not a huge theater. I think it probably, what, 450 or maybe between... 600. 600. I checked that sheet. Right. So like they're right <laughs> on top of you. Like there's a balcony mm-hmm. and, it, and it feels intimate. It's a, it's a cool 
Old Space. That's good. That's good. I'm happy you're going there. Where else? Thank you. What are the theaters? Let's uh, talk uh, so little go, theaters. I'm going to back to Portland to do Revolution Hall. When you return to Portland, are, are you like, uh, do people are like, hey, he's one of our guys? Yeah, yeah, I really like that. I mean, I have a lot of friends there. I mean, I feel like more, you know, it's more Carmel is like there because he was actually raised there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I came, um, you know, just as a teen. Uh, but I love, yeah, the amount of feedback I get and the positive in- energy I get from people there is amazing. I love going back to Portland. And uh, how's old Ian doing? He's doing great. Working over at James Corden, just working it out, you know. Yeah, trying yeah. Trying to get better. Everybody, <laughs> yeah. everybody. Where have you been working out? I've been working out with my trainer, Jorgen. I'm sure oh, he's yeah. loved how, to say his name. Jorgen DeMay. And how, like, you also want to wait. Yeah, I lost 140 pounds Holy right fuck. Thank you. 140 pounds. Yeah, trying to get 20 more off me. Yeah, I mean, it all all natural? Yes, sir. And like, tell me about it. Like, like what'd you do? What did you change your diet? How'd um, you, what, how, you, cause you were, you were large. Yeah, 360 at my heaviest. I, do you feel like relieved? Is it easier to walk? Is yeah. it easier? I mean, I feel like you know the gist of it. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Any well, of those you do? things. What'd you do to change it? Um, I mean, I just kind of, there was just like a series of events and it was mostly that I was traveling a lot more and like my knees would hurt and I was at the, and I would be like, oh, I'm like in my early 30s. My yeah. knees should not be hurting. Right. Um, I remember one time I was on a flight and then a lady woke me up at the end of it and she was like, I don't, she's like, I don't want to bother you, but like I'm a doctor and I think you might have sleep apnea. You might want to check into it because I heard you like snoring on the plane. Really? And I was like, oh, well, that's embarrassing. And then my mother came to visit like Thanksgiving a couple of years ago and she was just went to go get me some clothes and she was just like, I don't like, she's just like, I just straight up don't like buying you clothes this size. That yeah. Make me feel good. Makes her sad. Yeah. And then Bill Lawrence was a big, uh, helper in it where because he because I would after that I'd kind of try to do it on my own a little bit and I lost like 20 25 pounds yeah and I got a little bit of money yeah I put it right back on thanks to Postmates uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is that uh you don't know Postmates no man it's just white slavery oh. uh, it's where you get people to just deliver you food <laughs> <laughs> at any time of the night do you feel like you had a food like I mean it's one thing to be heavy but do you feel like you were compulsive like you have a, a of course yes that's like what I'm a, learning about myself I am, I mean I come from addictive people my dad had you know addiction yeah. issues and yeah. like so yeah I, that's what I'm learning is uh-huh. that I'm like I just can't have it around me right like, I just have to keep it away from me which is real difficult like I was watching Bill Burr's special and he had like a whole bit about it how like he doesn't get it because he's just like just stop doing it stop yeah, doing yeah. it and I was like man you that is clearly a dude who doesn't have to deal with addiction issues because you don't get it you don't see the fact that it's drugs are one thing and they're addictive to another thing but you don't have billboards every single where you go and be like oh we got new strawberry crack we got new double crack we got yeah. five hits of crack for five dollars yeah you know well yeah food's a tricky one yeah because it's not one you of those ones right you can't abstain from it completely Mm-mm. and old bill like he you know he, he's just fortunate that he's compulsive about exercising yeah yeah <laughs> you know, which but, i think it becomes a lot of it it's, yeah it's like i feel like i can't and I don't know how you feel about it. I think maybe you have a good, uh, you could talk to me about it, is that I don't feel like you can truly, like, get rid of addictions. Like, I, I can, like, ch- kind of aim them and change them. So, I'm like, I still have this addictive personality. Right. Whatever I do, I try right. to, I'd like to do a lot of, whether it's stand-up or right. working in general. Yeah. And so now I just try to, like, oh, I do take the eating one and I do it with exercise. 
And so it's like, I need to exercise six days a week. Well, yeah. And there's also this sort of like understanding, like, you know, under like, and I think you do, but I think the key to it is understanding unmanageability. Like, you know, the reason I'm an, an addict in that it's undeniable is my life became unmanageable and horrible mm-hmm. and, and I didn't have any control over it. Yeah. So it's that admission that I can't do that safely. You know, and I don't seem to be able to stop on my own. Yeah. So I need help. Yeah. And you got help. Yeah. But you didn't, like, you're not going to meetings. No. But you're going to the trainer. You're learning how to eat better. And you're locking in. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, like, but uh, what'd you have to cut out? Um, I cut out a lot of things. And it's just kind of like one by one. I yeah. pick things that I'm like, oh, I love this, but I love this more. So the first one to go was like, oh, I'm going to pick between candy and soda. And so soda went. <laughs> Uh, I love candy. <laughs> and now we're trying to get rid of candy. And so that's been difficult. But like, you, wait, were you eating like anything good, like vegetables or anything? When I was at my heaviest? Yeah. Um, I mean, not really. It's just I couldn't eat too much. So it would be like, I'd have this giant burrito as my lunch and my dinner. And then when I got on the show, it was like, oh, I'm going to have this burrito. And I'm going to get cheesesteaks delivered. Yeah. And, you know, so and was, they got craft services. Mm-hmm. And there's that buffet right over there. Exactly. Oh, shit. <laughs> And you like the weed. That yeah. Does, it does, to switch, to shift from being being high and working out to being high and eating, that's a big jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it. My doctor is super. Like, my doctor is the best because she was just like, she was just like, the amount of weight you lost. She's like, I don't know. She's like, I've been a doctor for 20 years and I don't have a single patient who's done this naturally but, but you. What do you mean? What do they do? Like the surgery and stuff? Yeah, surgery. You know, that um, seems scary to me. That does like seem the, scary the, 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 because it wouldn't change my mindset. You know, right? And it's just like you just get a, a bunch of your gut removed. Yeah, and or tighten. What I don't even know what they do, but it's just like it I mean, seems it's, rough. It seems rough, but I mean, again, I don't discourage anybody from however they feel they need to do it as long as they're trying to do it for their health first of all. Yeah. So how much you took off? A hundred and what? Hundred and forty. Right oh now. my god. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine having that on me or losing it. <laughs> but like, so do, do you, are you running every day? I'm not really, ru- I mean, I'm doing some jogging. I jog on an incline. I've been going to stoned yoga on Tuesdays. Shout out to stoned yoga Tuesday <laughs> nights. Um, and then I see my trainer three to four days a week. Well, congratulations. Thank you, sir. Um, so how long's the tour? Um, tours from from ju- starts June eighth and it'll go through August. I'm sure I'll pick up some random dates um, after that, and then I'm just kind of riding. I pitched a show, sold the CISO about uh, a wrestling cartoon that I'm waiting for them to hear. Wrestling, back from. it's a new hot thing, is it? Because it's just been my life, so I don't know. Well, I'm doing that. I'm on that show, Glow. I do. You think I do not know that, Mark? <laughs> yeah. You think be- I wasn't jealous of that? You're gonna be one of the big guys. You're gonna like, no, no, no. I'm a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to. You know, we're gonna have to. No, but I actually think you're perfect for that role like because I know the I mean I don't I have the gist of the role you're playing yeah. you're perfect for it that no, makes sense but it's like we're you know I just want the wrestling fans to dig it because a lot of attention was paid oh sure they will Awesome Kong is in it I mean Chavo fans love Allison Brie they do love Chavo yeah he he, he was the train he's the guy that schooled everybody yeah yeah yeah. it was good it was good to learn all that stuff I can imagine I didn't have to wrestle but it was good watching them learn and do I it I can imagine <laughs> did, did you ever do it? Why don't you do it? Um, I mean, I'm, ha- I'm interested in talking with some people about going and just doing a couple classes to try it out. But um, I, I talked to AJ Lee here. Did you listen to that one? No, I didn't listen to that one, but I love AJ Lee. Yeah, it was just the other day. We put it up earlier this week about mm-hmm. how, because it's a lot like stand-up. Yes. You know, you go Very to these, so. It's I don't know if they were classes, but you go to these gyms. Mm-hmm. 
and you learn how, yeah i guess they are classes but then you start to you just sort of it becomes this Plot open mind thing yeah and you travel and you go into little shitty little dive bars and you're getting 50 bucks in yeah. life and i was like man i know what it's like to emotionally put myself through a table for 50 bucks at the end of the <laughs> night yeah i do know that feeling <laughs> well have you have you tried uh, you've never done any wrestling i've never, never done any wrestling um, i'm interested i'm, I'm again i'm going to try to take some train some oh classes. you got to do it man i am i'm going to mark I'm doing it because I love it. I've always loved it. I've been really applying it to a lot of my stand-up and the fact of uh, uh, just faking things up a little bit, hiding my failures and really yelling out my successes. I feel like I like to wrestle things up a little bit. So that's oh, that's a, a, an application of the idea of wrestling mm-hmm. for a sort of self-improvement in a way. Mm-hmm. So uh, okay, so you're becoming well. What 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 are those tactics? Those well, they can be a heel or a face, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really just about. I mean, it's the same thing in comedy. The best you is you turned up to eleven. Yeah. Um, and then I just really again, I just try to like, oh, I'm having even if I'm like, I'll just put up pictures of me doing my sets, and I'm yeah. never I'm like never showing the other side where it's like 12 people not loving it yeah. <laughs> i just show them like oh i'm on stage looking good having fun i you, guess yeah i guess there is a point where you don't want to show that other stuff no yeah i i'm better if i'm turned down to seven <laughs> <laughs> that's what it took you a yeah. long time to figure out yeah yeah I mean, 11's not good for me I just i'm think- good at 11 me at seven sleep so <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. So, where can they find the dates for the tour? Uh, you can find them on ronfunches.com. My website is pretty simple. Okay. And uh, do you live far from here? Um, I, I, Kind of far. I live in East Hollywood. I used to live right by here. This is my old neighborhood. Remember? I used oh, to yeah. Come we had, by we had ice scoops. cream. Yeah. We had ice cream. It was <laughs> me and you and who? Jonah? Was it Jonah? Who went with us that time? Yeah, I think it was me and you and Jonah, right? Yeah, yeah. he lives down here, too. Yeah. When are you coming back? Um, Come by a house I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it, except for, like, I'm always working at Warner Brothers and stuff, and it's such a track. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah, I got lucky with the, the glow shoot. They they did it right in Atwater. I was oh. like, what? I didn't even know there were stages in Atwater. <laughs> this is the best job I've ever had. Well, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're doing so well. It's good to see you, Mark. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. The very svelte Ron Funches. Uh, here in the garage, looking uh, healthy, lean, manicured, uh, very funny, very sweet man, very funny man. Go see Ron. You can go to uh, you can go to ronfunches.com for his tour dates. I'm happy he stopped by. So, what do you need to know about Jake Fogelnest? You're going to know a lot about him by within an hour. You're going to know a lot about him. But uh, but Jake, as I said earlier, uh, I re- I was reminded I needed to talk to Jake when I was talking to Will Arnett and. Uh, I remember Jake Vogelness, his dad, his old man used to bring him to comedy shows when he was like 11 or 12 years. I'm going to talk to him about that. This is me and Jake Vogelnest uh, here in the garage. All right, Jake. <laughs> what are you doing? Where are you living? I live in Los Feliz. You do? Yeah. How long have you lived here? Um, I moved out to Los Angeles about five years ago. Uh-huh. Like, actually, like, this month. Yeah. Well, it's just a weird thing. Like, you know, I've known about you and of you and, and known you kind of at different points in my life. Um, but uh, the arc of it. Right. Somehow you landed on your feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we met. I mean, we truly met 30 years ago. Well, like, it's weird now that I see you. Like, like I kept trying to picture you as a kid and I can do it now. 
Uh-huh. And I can't quite, I kind of can picture your dad. Sure. But like in my memory, it was what year? Okay. So I think it was, when were you at the village gate? Top of the village gate. Oh, when when were we doing shows there? When yeah. I was living in New York, 89 to 92. So 89 to 92. So around 1989 is probably- Does that sound right to that, you? That sounds exactly right. Because- yeah. um, uh, I had this, you know, this, this father who, you know, very much like anything, th- there was no boundaries of like, that's an R rated film. You can't see that. Right. It's like, I-, I would walk by the A street playhouse in New York, see a poster for Rocky horror. And right. Like, What's that? Take me to that. And my father would. And how old were you? I was about, um, well, let's see, I'll, I'm 38 now. So I was probably 10 in, eight, right. in 1989. That sounds about right. Yeah. Your dad was sort of a character. He, you know, you know what it is. He's like, my, was he a music lawyer? No, not at all. He was a um, um, okay, and and I mean just okay, criminal defense attorney. Okay, that was it. Okay, yeah. yeah. And and he, you know, and I would come up and visit him on the weekends in New York. So from he where? was like uh, from Philadelphia. Uh, I'm That's origin- where your mom lived. Yeah, my mom lived in Philly. My parents got divorced before I was born. Oh, like, oh, really? Yeah, it was like, like as I understand it, it was like. All right. Well, we have this child coming. Let's let's do this kid a favor and not be together. <laughs> really? Yeah. And so, I, it, you don't have any brothers or sisters. No brothers and sisters, just me. And okay. So the idea of my parents together is like the weirdest thing in the world. It still doesn't today. even exist. It doesn't make sense. With, were they hippies? Did they meet? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like hippies to the point where I don't really. I never knew my grandparents. Right. They were the hippies that like fuck everything. Fuck you, mom. Fuck you, dad. I'm going off. You're terrible people. And, you know, they end up in, in, in Philadelphia together as, as like hippies and, you know, and then I'm, and then I'm born. And you still never met your grandparents? I'm, I met my paternal grandmother, uh, a couple of times and she was nuts and the other three grandparents know, I don't know. Why? Because they passed away or they, well, yes, they have to have passed away by now. Right. But I don't know their names. That's weird, Jake. It is weird. You never talked to your mother about it? I, a couple of years ago, my mother got curious and like, you know, she has a sister and a brother and- So she just- They just disconnected. Totally? Yeah. They totally disconnected from- That's fucking weird. Yeah. So I really lived in this bubble of just like, my family is just me, my mom and dad. And, and they didn't talk to their parents. They didn't talk to their parents. But they have sisters and brothers, all of them? My mother um, has a sister. I don't think my father has any siblings. You I, don't he, think? I per- He doesn't. He. I'm pretty sure. I would be very surprised to find out. You had a brother at this point? Um, my how mother. I not know this shit? Because th- th- this is how I grew up. This is, it was just, you know, you know, we're hippies. Our parents were shit and they were bad parents. Yeah. Like they were really bad parents. It's amazing that my parents, um, you know, as many mistakes as they made, you know, you know, managed to like, I'm sitting here today and I'm okay. Right. You know? Well, it's like, okay. So you find out that your mother has siblings. Yeah, I know. Well, I know my mother's uh, sister. Uh, I, I, she she cousins? was around. Um, I do have some cousins, and you All know, right. every once in a while they reach out on Facebook, and I'm and, I'm not so interested, right? You but know, you met your grandmother once. I met my grandmother once or twice. You know, I remember her. Her name was Charlotte, she, and um, and but but she was very 
I was like 15 and doing a public access show and I was very nice. She was very naive. So I would call my grandmother up and, and like crank call her. So you use her as fodder. Yeah. Used her as fodder and stuff. But and all then, right. So that's the backdrop. So yeah. your parents are divorced. <laughs> it's just me, mom and dad. Yeah. Right. And, um, so you're, you'd go up and visit your dad in New York on the weekends. And that was, you know, New York city in the eighties and a playground. Here's who sticks out to me. You stuck out. Yeah. Um, Rick Avilas. Oh yeah. The who, pigeon junkie pigeons. Yeah. 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 And then, um, Mark Cohen, who yeah. I ended up in a car with, with Dave Rathick a couple like months ago. And sure. I was just oh, like, really? yeah, I was like, Hey, yeah. I used to see you just, ten, you know, check it. <laughs> Jews. Yeah. And then like, you know, but, and, and I, I Hicks maybe once or twice, but like, but you were there for a little while. Yeah. But you were the, you were the guy, mm-hmm. you know, like you were the one that I, that both <laughs> me and my father latched into like, yeah, he, he knows what's up. Yeah. Oh yeah. The angry guy, the angry guy, the sweaty guy, the sweaty, angry guy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. this is after for you, like this has to be. This is post you coming out here, improv, Kinnison. Yeah, and I was doing the Boston because I couldn't get into the cellar. I did the improv. I would do. Raffi would book me at the gate. Uh huh. So that was that was sort of my my circle. You know, that was that we, was what was happening. We liked the gate. The gate was uh, like to me the best. And I don't know if it was just the history of the village. Oh gate yeah, it's or, a great old place. They had yeah. the big showroom downstairs for the music and upstairs they had that weird L-shaped room where yeah. they had that front room, that front part in front of the stage and there was this other part that kind of went off to the Yeah, it was like the, the bar stage. was over the, yeah, yeah, there. And the and, bar was right over there. And I remember there I worked there one night with Bill with Hicks. Mm-hmm. Hicks would primarily he was around, but it was only for a very intense short time that he was there. Yeah, I must have caught him like one night. Right, the improv. You, I or... would, yeah, you, I would see all the time. Yeah, I know because you guys would come and they'd be like, "There's that kid again." Yeah, and I and now I think back to that, and you know, I'm obviously not a stand-up, but like, is that is that a nightmare for a stand-up comedian to have a a, a kid in the audience? I, I distinctly remember one time Susie Essman, you know, and it's a, a classic line of hers. But Susie Essman seeing me in the crowd and going, didn't I fuck you? And, you know, and it, you know, obviously it worked huge with the crowd. But like, well, I mean, I think there you off. No, because there's a point where like there are parents there. They're kind of like they bring the kid and you can tell they're nervous because they don't know if the kid they don't know what I'm going to do as a stand up. If they know me right. on the podcast or whatever, the kid likes me for my TV show. Right. Right. They're, right. they're entrusting me with some things. And I. I can't really respect that in the sense that I'm not going to not say things because the kid is there. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. But I think I've made some parents uncomfortable. Depend, you know, it makes me a little uncomfortable. But with you, because your dad was such a kind of this weirdo. Fucking hipster. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, he was sort of like into it and you were kind of, you know, we, I don't, I, I don't remember it making me nervous after a certain point. Yeah. But, but the weird thing was, I think for all of us was that, um. There was my generation of comics like me and Todd and everybody uh, who were around who knew your dad and knew you as a kid. And then you kind of like surfaced, <laughs> you know, yeah. as this part of show business. Yeah. yeah. Which was uh, like it, and as be- a teenager. Yeah. Like how like what was because like I what I know about you is like I know you pulled it together. You do some writing you had a podcast. I, I know, you know, that you're working. I'm a now. showrunner now for what? A uh, new show coming to Comedy Central later this year called Corporate. Like mm-hmm. I'm, like I I I have really pulled it together. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Back then, what happened was, um, you know, New York City public access was yeah. happening. 
So you remember New York City Public Access. I kind of do. I, I know that. Is that what Gethard is on? Yeah, Gethard's on that. So What was going on at the time when you were there? I remember the, the stripper. Yeah, Robin Bird. Robin Bird. Al Goldstein. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but public access at that time, I mean, and it still is, you know, they'll give any lunatic a half hour on so television. So what, what year was that? So 1994. And you were? 14 turning 15 years old. Still in high school. In Starting high school in New York City. Uh, my mom, your mom had moved up. My mom had moved up. She was, and I can't believe she did this. She had a job. Uh, she was a, a graphic designer and she had a job in New York and she would commute from Philly to New York every day. That's a brutal commute. Not By the horrible, time, but you know, it, New York's expensive. Yeah, so. it, exactly. It, it, so eventually she turns, I turn 13. I, I'm, it's time for me to go to high school. And yeah. she's like, we're moving. And I say, all right, but you got to let me get a public access show. And my parents are like, sure, whatever. Yeah. What, fine. And um, I I started doing um, essentially what is YouTube, you know, yeah. but from my bedroom with a video camera and putting it on public access. Well, how did you get the hookup? Like, what, whose idea was it? It was my idea. And you approached public access. Yeah. I, and you said, can you, can I get a cameraman? No, no. I got my own, I had my own camera. I, I had saved up money working at um a video camp yeah. in philadelphia uh you know where i really learned how to like edit and all that stuff you went to a video camp when yeah, you were it's 13 like the, it's the nerdiest thing from like 11 to 13 there was a place in in philadelphia that was like for kids that want to learn how to make movies and stuff uh-huh. and lasted for a little while right and uh and you know and i got good i was like you know like a counselor in training and yeah, stuff yeah and, and uh but then i moved to new york yeah and um and I I had bought, you know, like a high eight camera. Yeah. And I had a VCR. Yeah. And that was enough. Right. And I have a th- and 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 so I started doing the show and it became what was it called? It's called Squirt TV. Yeah. So it's you and then like how does it pick up traction? Like like what happened? So you put I, Yeah. I have a theory about that. You put it on public access. It airs Sunday nights at twelve thirty AM and at that time, it was still an era where you would flick through the dials. Like, you but know, who were you following, Robin? Uh, I was following no. I was just some lunatic with like, you know, it could right. have been the Black Israel. You know, you have, every time you turn on public access, it'd be the the real Jews or black yeah, guys, yeah, yeah, black yeah. Israelites. It could have with been the them. costumes. Yeah, with the costumes, yeah. yelling in Times Square. Yeah, I don't know who I was following, but I know that um, MTV was Channel Twenty. Yeah, and 120 Minutes was airing at that time. Right. So people, so that would go to commercial. People would flick down four numbers on the dial and, you know, see a Devo music video, which I'm showing completely illegally. So you, uh, uh, from the get-go, were showing music videos? Music videos, clips from movies, dissecting pop culture. That you just edit together. You, yeah. So you would host it, yeah. cut things in. Cut, cut things in. So yeah. imagine you're, you're watching 120 Minutes in yeah. 1994. Oh, there's a Devo video on. I haven't seen this in a while. And then 15-year-old me pops up and I'm like, hey, here's my thoughts on yeah. whatever. Right. And people were like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and... And um, and it aired in Manhattan at that particular time. And, you know, it was sort of this immediate cult phenomenon, early fans. This is before guests. So you didn't have guests. yet. Did not have guests. I had people. I remember getting a, a phone. I remember saying on the show, like, I need a haircut. And then I, I very smartly put a voicemail number right. on the bottom of the screen. Yeah. And uh, people would call me up and it would yeah. be like, hey, it's uh, this is uh, Thurston Moore. I'm here with Kim. I'll give you a haircut. No. Yeah. 
Like that's like the the craziest thing was I used the They Might Be Giant song as like my theme song right. for the show. Okay. And four weeks in Which one? I wish. It was minimum wage okay. from uh from Flood because yeah. it was short. Yeah. And um four weeks into doing the show, I'm doing this thing for a month and I get a phone call and it's like, Hey, this is John Flansburg from They Might Be Giants. I'm watching your show and checking out, digging it, keep up the good work. So you got you got a month in. You got a pass to use the music. Got a pass to use the music. Because so, somebody said there's some kid. But imagine you're fifteen years old and like your favorite band calls you up and is like, Hey, I, I dig what you're doing, man. Like so you that got, happened to me. Right. Right. So you got like so, somehow or another the the artsy nerds, yes, and the and the cool rock people, yeah, the Beastie Boys, and were all like, those people. you know, yeah. who's this kid? Who's this kid? Yeah, that's what that's what happened to me. Yeah, yeah, and um, and then you know, eventually, you know, who's this kid travels, you know, up the up the ladder. But but before you you make your break, um, you have this voicemail line. Yeah, right. So and and. <laughs> And this was you were into the the punk scene and whatever. Yeah. What, what? Who were your music people then? Like, what were you doing? Were you going? You couldn't go out to shows. You were. 15. I, I I could though because it was New York City at the time, and like you know there were like you know was I at CBGBs for anything cool? No, nothing cool was, was going. Done. It was done. Yeah. It was done. But no, I would go see you know. Uh, you know the Ramones and Pavement and Sonic Youth and Luscious really? Jackson and the Beastie Boys and and all that stuff. Right? Like, yeah, that was that was know, happening. That then. was happening. I distinctly remember going to see you know the Beastie Boys at Lollapalooza in '94. It was a really interesting time. But the voicemail was really funny because for for the one call that I would get, you know, like, hey, this is you know John Flansburg from They Might Be Giants. Yeah. There'd be forty other calls of "fuck you, you white prep school bitch." I'm gonna come kill you. Like yeah. you know, just yeah, people, yeah. like because. You gave a number out, right. and why not? Why not? Like, and you're following the black Israelites. So. <laughs> yeah, so like, so I would, and and um, and 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 then what I would do is I would play those calls back on the show yeah. the next week because they were so they were just so outrageous and funny, and I don't know where I found a sense of humor. About so that. when did it like? When did you? Who was your first guest? Did you have a guest on the public access? Um, yeah, the first band that came to the public access uh, show was Ween, uh, which yeah. is kind of perfect for yeah, that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, I think, around 1995. Did they play? Um, they did not play, but they came to your house. They, they came, came to your to, mother's house. Yeah, just yes, they came to my mother's house. Just like I'm in your garage, they came to my mother's house. Gene and Dean. Gene and Dean. And like hung out and I talked to them and, uh, and then that set, you know, once you book ween, yeah. you can get anybody. Well, that, well, you can get anyone in that world. In that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then who comes to your mother's house? <laughs> um, well then, you know, it really starts to pick up with, uh, with MTV, but like, you know, once MTV got involved, that's. But were you still shooting at your mother's house? Yes. I was very concerned about that. Um, so after ween comes. How does the MTV deal happen? I mean, what was, how did ICM well, play? Like, wh what, what, what happens is these tapes start getting passed around. Oh, that's like, it. People, people, it was like the first South Park. It, it was the like. Brian Boitano. Exactly. Right. Or, you know, so they're or, traveling, or heavy metal parking lot or something. Right. So they're traveling, like agents are getting them. They're being, yeah. Tour buses right. to agents until, right. you know, it's in Ari Emanuel's hands, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they're like, and then all of a sudden it's like MTV is like, hey, go out and cover some spring break for us. Comedy Central's like, hey, why don't you do an hour? We've got a library of stuff. And you're 15. I'm 15, 16. 15, 16 years old. Yeah. 
and um and that that happens yeah and you know and it became it became a bidding war between who comedy central and mtv wanted the bedroom show yeah they wanted squirt tv and i was adamant because there's the joke in the movie wayne's world where they recreate his basement in a studio yeah i was adamant no we still have to shoot this in my bedroom uh that's just how it has to be done and i and they 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 agreed now when i look back on that i'm like that's the most impractical fucking thing ever i invited all of that crew into the house like well how does that change so who'd you go with you went with mtv went with mtv because comedy central was not south park yet it was before south park and it was big money (laughs) yeah yeah, it was, it's it's always big money at MTV. So no, not it was big a money. small amount of money, but you know? but there was a big yeah. But for a sixteen year old, yeah, you know. And what's your mother thinking of all this? You know, at a certain point, uh, my parents were incredibly supportive. But I really think at a certain point, um, and I don't know if it was when I was seven or when I was fifteen, um, just my parents lost control. <laughs> Like the, right. it was just sort of like the idea of like, hey, you're grounded. I was like, yeah, but what does that mean? Like yeah. I come home and I adhere to that. And if I don't do it, what? You're going to call the cops. Right. Like you're going to throw me in jail. Right. Like we're going to go through all that. I don't think so. So I'm going out. And that uh, this was after the success or before? I think before. Right. You know? So you were living in two different worlds and they couldn't manage you and they were self-involved anyways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My 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 father more so than my mother. You know, well, you were in her house. I was in her house. You and know, you had, and you had crews coming up. Yeah, and you know, and it was you know, I think there was. It, here's what was interesting about it. Um, you know, I remember my father. Um, as this started to happen, um, was like, "Hey, I'll uh, I'll I'll help you. Like, I'm a lawyer. I'll manage you, and I'll help you with this." And I was like. No fucking way. Yeah. Are you are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> I know. I know you. Yeah. You're not. You're not. Like, why would I have you? You have no professional experience doing yeah. this. And so we didn't talk for six months. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, a, that's how serious I took a business it. problem. It was a it was a business problem. But let's wait. Wait. So, OK, so you take the deal with MTV and now you've got to you know make a schedule. You've got to have a like a, <laughs> a crew there now. What you were dealing with one high eight camera. I was dealing with one high eight camera. And now I distinctly remember. <laughs> Like uh, Jason Nash coming in to interview to be hired as a writer on the show and him not being hired. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. No, yeah. I, you know, I'm sure that he's still, I think he's still got resentment about it. And- you know, he's got resentment about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like all of a sudden I'm this kid navigating through, you know, television. How many were you and- shooting a week and how how big was the crew? We did, so we did six episodes a week. No, we did six episodes total. This is such a blip on my radar this thing i did about 50 to 60 of the public access shows and um the mtv show we did six episodes that played twice um and it imploded because all the time while i'm doing this you know i have a whole other secret life going on yeah you which know? is which is you know the older girlfriend and a drug problem yeah you know the older girlfriend how old well you know it's really <laughs> It's the thing where if the situation was reversed, you'd go, that's disgusting. It's criminal. Um, But with dudes, it's like high five. She was like 23. I was 15. Mm -hmm. And now I look back on that and I go, wow, that's really fucked up. That's a fucked up thing that that was going on. Yeah. And she and who got you into drugs? The girl. 
Uh-huh. It's always the girl. You know, it's always the older girl, you know? Sometimes. I mean, yeah, I guess so. You know what? That's not true, though, because I, you know, had, you know, I'd already smoked pot. I'd already, yeah. you know, you just like, just bad, bad teenager stuff, you yeah. know? And, you know, I think all teenagers go through that. I just have the disease. Yeah. You know? And you yeah, don't know, know you have the disease until you have the disease. Well, so what was happening? So when you were doing that, where'd you meet her? She wrote a fan letter. To... Uh... To the to the local access show. To, to, I had a post office box with the voicemail. Yeah. So she, she wrote, wrote a fan letter. So you were with her before MTV. Yeah. And you were. It's like my first girlfriend. Doing dope. Did a little, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, no problem. I don't like to. You know, when you're a meeting and there's somebody telling a story, it's like, yeah, man, and it was the '90s and we were doing dope and it was great and mm-hmm. that, that glamorization thing. Like, um, I've listened to every one of these things, you yeah. know, that you've done. So you were talking about it with uh, Jennifer Coolidge recently. Yeah. I love the way you spoke about it. So, like, yeah, I was doing dope because it was 1994, 95 in New York City, and you lived on the block, and that was around. And it was strong dope, and it was good. It was white dope, and I looked back on that now wasn't that tar stuff i've never even you know like well it was like just there was that period there where it was when, just a, it was a supermarket well, well, was well, well what changed in new york though was that they realized they could hook guys like you mm-hmm. by upping the grade of the dope so so kids could snort it Yep. As opposed to boot it. Exactly. So it was the shift from, you know, the guys with the spikes in their arms right. to this higher graded dope, which they were thrilled about. Absolutely thrilled but, about it. But, I found out recently that like, you know, uh, kids, I and I didn't finish high school, but the kids that I went to high school, there was, there was, everyone was a secret drug addict. Right. And it was just all of a sudden heroin became accessible because you didn't need to shoot it. Exactly. And did you, you know, ever get into that? That came, that came later and it lasted <laughs> one month. You know? oh, good for you. Yeah, no, I. That was I, the end of it. That I got in and out of that real, <laughs> real quickly. You know, the, the, you know, what I've found too is that like, it's because it's 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 I'm coming up on eleven years, and it's so not part of my life today. I look back on that and I go, it's fucking crazy. I don't know what I was doing, and like, what's in like? Do you have that feeling of like, what was? What, I don't even know what I'm taking. What is this cut with? Like, no, no, yeah, well, of course. Well, you you just kind of roll the dice. You roll, yeah. But but to be a young boy doing that, you know, while also going through like fame was crazy. Well, yeah, and but now, like you know, with with the with the the prescription pills, it's like it's, it's worse. not. It's it's horrible. It's worse. But like because you know, there's still a a, a sort of dealing operation, but. At least if you're getting pills, you know, you know it was made getting. by pro- professionals. Yeah, you, you know, know what you're getting. And it's but yeah, just but having strong. to go down to my block, you know, you were going down to like... If I had to, you know, that was not... City? Yeah, and yeah, I did. And and it's... it's in. I look back on it now with, um, uh, with a lot of empathy for my young self. So you were 15, you had it like, how, what was your habit? What was the intensity? Daily? Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, it got there. Yeah, so I mean, gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna, you know. So, so okay, so you get this deal with MTV. Yeah, and you're with this 23 year old. <laughs> After you shoot, you're both hanging out. You're snorting the dope. You're fucking like half awake all right. the time. Yeah, yeah. Kind of sweaty and sick. Yep. And uh, you know, how does the shit hit the fan? I'll tell you exactly how the shit hits the fan. Um, and you know, my parents who were, you know, cordial to each other but not really together. Um, uh, all of a sudden showed up at my office. It was humiliating. They showed up at my office at MTV one day. You had an office. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, they they closed the door. Yeah. And they said, last chance. Last chance. Two and of them. I, yeah, both, both of them. them together. I'd never seen these two people together before. <laughs> so I was like, uh, what do you yeah. mean? And they took out, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, just a bunch of empty dope bags and dumped them on my the desk. little envelopes. The envelopes, and they said, "Last chance." With the little weird markings on them. Yep, last chance. <laughs> yeah, last chance for what? To tell us the truth. Oh, what's going on? But had they asked you before? No, they, I mean, I think that they had they had rumblings. <laughs> I don't think the first chance was the last chance. Yeah, exactly. And they shipped me off to. Um, you know a rehab and um but were, when that happened were had you shifted to needles no oh. no that, that comes later oh good this is a, a multi-tiered story oh yeah yeah in and out no no, no. i have i have 11 years over i'm <laughs> so, 38 this you know it comes like back around time, and right. it's not you know like yeah um but um but i was 17 and i went to uh, a rehab and um and, and then mtv was like fuck this kid or you had a i you know mark i um you know, I held on hope while I was at that rehab for, you know, 30, But you had to come days. clean with them? I, you know, it had to be handled. I don't know how much they knew, how much they did. Yeah. I disappeared, you know? Oh, yeah. And I came back to, you know, that office that I had. Two and months it, later. Two months later, yeah. maybe 90 days later. And, and uh, it was a bunch of stuff in boxes. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew it was over. Uh-huh. That's when I knew so it was over. So you've done six episodes on MTV. Who were the they guests were, on those? Oh, um, you know, Adam Sandler, Ginny Garofalo, uh, the Fugees, Cypress Hill. That was a fun day. My mom comes home from work after a hard day <laughs> and fucking- Weed. Yeah, just weed <laughs> yeah. in the fucking hallways. Yeah, yeah. Chibo Mato with like, you know, Sean Lennon playing and, and the, you know- uh, Liz Fair. I mean, just of that pe- period of time, you couldn't ask for. Well, cooler. that's when I think I knew. Like, I, that was around the time where I'm like, wait, that kid? Yeah, and also Luna Lounge is happening at yeah. that time, and I'm there every week, right? Because that's like, yeah, church. Yeah, Luna Lounge was so church. You're hanging around again. I'm like, you're that kid. Yeah, because like, you're always that. And actually, kid. and yeah, I, I was always that kid. And actually, it was after because um, I was hanging out, and it was rebar. Yeah, it was it was before Luna. Oh yeah, that the place where everyone sat on the floor. Yeah, and it was not isn't a weird part of town. It was well now it's like you know Chelsea or whatever, but at that point it was not really built up or whatever. It was what was it eighteenth? Like, yeah, eighteenth or Street and, and somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would go to Rebar because Becky, I think Dave Becky was booking it, right? And that's where I saw you and yeah. Todd and yeah. you know Sarah Silverman. Sure. So then what happens is I get you know I go to rehab. It's not a great rehab. It's it's not where a great. It's, you know, it's one of these, you know, West Palm Beach, Florida. It uh-huh. was, it wasn't a very expensive rehab. Yeah. You know, because my parents don't like, I was the poorest kid at my school. Right. Which was like, it was the first time I became aware of class. Yeah. Like, you know, I was, you know, we were middle class people living in New York City in the 90s. And I was like. You could the, do that then. You could do that then. Yeah. yeah now, now you can't. No. Nope. Uh, but you could do that then. And I went to this school probably on some sort of scholarship uh and it was rich kids yeah it was rich kids so i made friends with like the one punk yeah in 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 the school yeah it was like i've got the great rock and roll swindle on laser disc come <laughs> over and i'm like oh thank god Ed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and uh but but the but i went to this rehab and it was one of those we're gonna break you down and build you back up yeah and it was humiliating because the show was still airing on mtv while i was in rehab uh-huh so the counselors who all of which have gone out and relapsed i've found out 
uh, really? Because I've Googled them. Yeah. Oh, really? They would come and they would yell at me and stuff. But it's it, but it planted the seed and it got me into the rooms. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. got me into the secret society yeah. and stuff. And yeah. so I'm 17, 18 years old. And that is that is my life for several years, you know, going to that. And at the same time. How are you making a living? Well, uh, I'm on K-Rock. Oh, I, right. I, I called up the request line at K-Rock and I said, hey, it's Jake. I had that MTV show. I want a job. And they said, come on in. Yeah. And I had a meeting with them and like. In LA? No, K-Rock in New York. Okay. So where Howard Stern was. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and they put me on the radio. Uh-huh. And, you know, I. Daily? Um, not daily at first, weekly. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you're still living at home. It's right. you know, it enough sure. pocket change and sure. stuff, but it started a radio career for me uh-huh. and, um, and you know, it saved me. And then at the, and then at the same time, you know, upright citizens brigade came from Chicago and I mean, here's now, do how, you still have an agent is it would, did Ari end up representing you? That all goes away. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm back with like, I got an email a couple of years ago from Ari, like, Hey, thank you to all our people. Like it was the 20th anniversary of Endeavor. And it's yeah. like, thank you to all our people that have been with us for all these years. And like, are like, I'm at WME now. And Ari's like, Hey, I'm proud of him. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. So it's, and I've seen him over the years and, yeah. and stuff, but, but, but the upright citizens brigade came to. To New York City. I remember, yeah, because they used to perform at Luna. In the, yeah. In, like, I remember before they moved. Yeah. They were sort of around. They didn't have a theater yet. Yeah, no. I, as I remember, basically, New York City, they, they're they like, hi, we're the UCB. We're going to come here. We're going to get our own TV show. We're <laughs> going to start our own theater. We're going to, you know, start teaching classes. And New York City was like, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah, but it did, did it happen that way? Like, was that always their arcing agenda? I felt like they were a sketch troupe that was working a space and then it started to pick up Absolutely. And, they, and they got their own space. Exactly. They were they were sketch comedians trying to do sell a show to Comedy Central and they there was no improv and sketch community in New in York. New York City. No, right. It didn't exist. Right. There was just like you know, weird. Now kind there's of, too much of it. But Right. What was that one place? It was it was it Chicago second, City City so, Limits. Yeah, where yeah. you'd have like, you know, which is so funny now because you think of that and it was just like Paul Shear and Eddie Pepitone playing short form games. And I just imagine Eddie going back to his apartment afterwards and, and being like why yeah 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 is you that know? who was in it were they in yeah, it? yeah they were in it but it, it was sort of like a franchise yeah. tourist attraction it was a tourist attraction it yeah. wasn't you know whereas ucb were coming in and doing and you know improv was you know for me what it was was upright citizens brigade was oh my god these are people my age yeah that want to do the same kind of things i did the only right. reason i put myself on television was not because I was a narcissist or something or wanted to be on television, is I didn't have anybody to do a show with. Because my heroes have been like John Waters and right. John Hughes. Right. But when you're 14, 15 years old, I guess I got to do this myself. Well, yeah, and it's also that that the culture was so different and like, you know, you could have these heroes that were these kind of outliers and weirdos. Yeah. That doesn't, it, it, there was a, like New York was very specific to that and every, everybody seems sort of around. Do you know what I mean? I remember like, going to see the movie Kids yeah. at the Angelica Film Center opening yeah. night and walking out of the theater and there were all the kids from the movie Kids <laughs> waiting to be recognized. Right. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was, you, you know, 
part, you know. Yeah, I remember New York then. I remember that. That was, you know, my New York. And then, and then thank God UCB opened up because then it was like, oh, this is focus. Well, you're on the radio at that point. I got a job on the radio, which I quit because they wouldn't, the final straw was I had a show. Was it daily at this point? It was not daily. I actually, I ended up going back there and they did put me on daily, but like I was 18 years old and I was in control of the playlist. Yeah. And then a new program director came in and he's like, you know, we're, we're taking control of the playlist away from you. Uh And at 18 years old, you tell me I can't play a Slater Kenny record on the radio. Yeah. I fucking quit. Yeah. I quit. Yeah. And, uh, then, um, Operate Citizens Brigade happened and when did they open that theater? They opened the theater. They opened the theater. The first one with the weird seats. Yep, on Twenty Second. Where'd they buy all those seats from? A bus station or they something? They can't. Well, the, it was it was the Harmony Burlesque Theater. Right. You know, it used to be like a burlesque joint on Twenty Second Street, and then Matt Walsh had the apartment upstairs where that. people would get hand jobs. Yeah. Not from Matt Walsh, but right. you know, yeah, back in the day. Back in the day, you yeah. know. So they had to, you know, and every once in a while it was so funny because I ended up working at the theater and eventually becoming like artistic director for a while. You did? Yeah. Like, um, but but. Like every once in a while, like a Hasidic Jew would come in during the day <laughs> from the old days and be like, uh, where's, where's, the, where's yeah. the girls? Where's Cherry? Yeah. And we were like, it's a comedy theater now. And then they were like, oh, and they would take a flyer pretending to be interested. <laughs> <laughs> where's the girls? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but UCB saved, you know, saved me because it, so you just became a sketch rat. You just yeah, hang around. Rat. Yeah. Sketch rat. I and just made that up. Th- no, but that's a good word for it because yeah. I was the guy It was like. You know, I took the improv classes and it was different then. There was how many people? Now there's thousands of people taking classes. It was just like, it was just it was the couple, four of them. It was the four of them. And then they had like, what, a hundred students? I happened I to be one know. of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took improv classes because, you know, like I started hanging around ASCAT, which is yeah. where I met Tom Sharpling for right. the first time and, and Horatio Sands and then Adam McKay. Because it was like the improvisers at that time that would do the Sunday Night ASCAT show were Adam McKay, Tina Fey, Brian Stack... At the original UCB? Uh, at the original UCB. It was, you know, wow. you know the top, you, yeah. know, a, you know, Amy Poehler, Tina, yeah. you know, the, the, the UCB guys themselves. Dratch. Dratch. Um, I remember seeing Dratch and Faye do yeah. their, you know. I remember when they kind of popped Dratch and Faye. That Dratch was the and beginning Faye, of it. Yeah, yeah. D- you know, directed by, and I took her, that show was very meaningful to me because it was the first time I had seen like what a real produced sketch show could be like. And, right. Matt, and Matt Besser was was really like good to me in the sense that he called me up, be like, uh, Jake, you're in charge of Tuesday nights now. Okay, Mike. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And and it th- and it it threw me I said to Besser, like, hey, I really want to start like writing and directing sketch because I I would do improv and I was on Herald teams and I was like, this is all great and fun and I understand that this yeah. is an art form, but yeah. maybe we should write some of this shit down and make it better. Right. Like I was that guy. So you you didn't really want to be a performer. No, I've never I've never <laughs> wanted to be a performer. You know, um, the radio stuff. Uh, I eventually ended up going. A new program director came back yeah. at K Rock, and that guy was awesome. Yeah, and he was like, "Hey, why don't you come back and like." You can't pick the music. By that time, I was a little older. I'm like, I'll play whatever you want me to play. Yeah, you let me yeah. talk on a mic, yeah. and you know. And, but he was cool. He was like, "Hey, your friend Paul Shear's pretty funny." Like, and we're nobodies at this point. Why don't you guys talk a little longer in between the songs? Right. You know, like I had more free. It was fun. Right. It was fun, and then. So okay, so when when Besser says. You got Tuesday nights. You're a stage manager. What? No, what does I'm that mean? booking like the open mic or whatever, and then also starting to Besser like taught a sketch class. And you're pushing people there on the 
radio show? Yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. It did have that outlet. But like, but basically what, what happened was I started to meet guys like Brett Gelman and mm-hmm. John Daly. And uh, they're like, hey, will you direct my one-man show? So I directed like Brett Gelman's first one-man show, John Daly's first one-man show. We're all kids. All right, so when do the drugs come back? The drugs, okay, so from 17 until about 22, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. And, um, you know, UCB and comedy culture, you know, there's McManus, you know, and what, you the go bar? the bar, you go yeah. drink afterwards. And I said, you know what? I've got, I, I've got my stuff under control. Yeah. Well, right my now. problem wasn't alcohol. Yeah, it, my was problem, dope. Yeah, it was dope. You know, and I'm going to have a drink and see what happens. And that first one's good, right? Well, what happened was <laughs> nothing. The world didn't collapse. Yeah. It was you know, it, you know, it was a slow decline back. Mm. Uh, so like 22, um, I'm okay. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm, Did they move theaters yet? Um, I remember when we lost the theater, we opened, I think the new theater, which is the current one, there have been one of the two current ones in New York was yeah. 2004. Because I was, I remember that being one of the last shows I did was uh, Adam McKay. I was sitting at a bar with, uh, it was it was during the, George W. Bush election. He was like, he says to me and like Sheer, he's like, there should be a show at UCB called George Bush is a motherfucker. And we're like, we'll do that show. He's like, yeah. I'll produce it. Yeah. And um, we did this like, you know, pretty political, you know, for us, uh, sketch show at UCB. And, yeah. you know, that was, that was sort of the last thing. Um, and that was at the new theater. But the drugs, you know, th- the drugs came back at the end and it was very, very quick. You know, um, it was the drinking. It was, it was the drinking and it was, yeah. and it was like, oh, I can't, ha- I can't. So you're hanging out. Are you making a fool out of yourself or? I'm not making a fool out of myself. Um, um, I'm not, but I'm not fooling anyone. Right. If that makes sense. But you, everyone knew. Well, I think that like there were incidents where it's like, hey, you got to apologize to that guy uh, because last <laughs> night you made yeah. him cry. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Sure. Like I got that in me. Yeah. You know, especially yeah. with alcohol. Right. But really, I was hiding. You know, I was the type of, you know, the way that I use drugs and alcohol was like, this is great. It shuts off all feelings. Yeah. You know, so right. all it was the feelings taker away. Right. Um, and it was like alone in my house. I wasn't like out partying. It was that isolated. So how long did you start? How long drinking before you started using the drugs again? Um, A couple, a couple years. Oh, like really? Four, like four or five what, years. What was the decision to? The, the, to, to get back on the drugs? Yeah. It showed up. Oh, really? It showed, you know, it just showed up. And With it was a like. a woman? No, actually, it just sho- it just showed up one night, and yeah. it was like, well, I'm handling the alcohol. What's this gonna, you know, what's this gonna do? Snort some dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, um, crash, and and you know, I think you know, I hate to say this, and again, I don't mean to glamorize it, but I think you can you can sort of manage um, a dope habit uh, for about a year and a half before anyone catches on. I think that's right. That's about a year and a half before anyone catches on. Um, but yeah, no, I had friends that, that were like, what the fuck's going on with you? Uh, what's worried? And um, you, you were back for a year. You went out for a year and a half on the year, dope. Yeah. About, yeah. And but still working at that time. Um, and, you know, I'll tell this story now. But like um, um, Howard Stern announced he was going to Sirius. Right. And um, uh, I knew that I was going to be out of a job. Because they were going to switch formats to an all talk format, 
Um, at K-Rock? At K-Rock. It was going to become Free FM. Yeah. And David Lee Roth was their big idea to replace Howard Stern. Right, I So I that. said, my days are numbered. And um, I've always had a great relationship with the Stern Show. And yeah. They, they were great. And I remember going and talking to Gary at like six in the morning. I was working yeah. the overnight or whatever. And I was like, does Howard know that a bunch of DJs all across the country just got fired? And he's like, he's like, do you want to go in and talk about it? I was like, yeah. So I went in and I'm talking to Howard about that. Um, and what happens is CBS um, radio, which I don't think exists anymore, um, in one day suspends me. And then calls a few hours later to offer me a talk show. Huh. So I, and at the same time, I'm negotiating to go over to Sirius because I see the end of the line. Yeah. I do a talk show at Free FM for six weeks with uh, 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 Jackie Clark, who's another comedian at yeah. ECB, yeah. Uh, a successful TV writer now. And we do this show and then I went over at Sirius and then, um, and then some really great people sat me down and told me their stories. They were like, they saw it, they, you know, and, um, and they saw was, what the, the shifting, they, of saw the it radio? On my, they saw it on my face. Oh, you mean, yeah, you were saw, fucked up. Yeah. They saw it on my face. They knew, they knew the deal. They told you some stories. They told, yeah, three great people told me some stories and, uh, and I, and a sober week, people, sober people. Yeah. And a week later, uh, you know, June 26, 2006. Yeah. Uh, I was like, that's it. And ran up to a meeting and uh, never and haven't been back since. So, well, but so when they were telling the the stories, was that that month where you started to get heavier? Yeah. Do, uh, so yeah. you were. Yeah. It, yeah. it fucks your skin up and everything. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I had a like I, I had a beard. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I'm not yeah. a guy who should have a beard. And you're probably more skinny than you oh, were. Oh, yeah. And I'm skinny as it is. It's like, you know. And they were like that. It's, you know, it's hard. It's, you start to look like a ghost. Yeah. You start to, you know, you start to look like a ghost. And, and, and thankfully, um, I I had serious and I took um you know and I had a job and I took sobriety very very seriously. How bad was the kick? Um there have been worse, thank God. You know, I have I got lucky, man. You know, I I got lucky. I it's a feeling I never want to feel again and I withdrawal? Kinda, yeah, you know, I wake up every morning and I go <laughs> I don't wake up every morning. There's some mornings I wake up and I go God, I, I, you know, as bad as it is, I don't, I'm not feeling that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't so bad, but yeah. um, it wasn't great. But, yeah. um, but I just stayed in. It was, I, I, I got the message this time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, well, did, the, great. I did the thing, and, um, and then slowly but surely, um, I started to put myself out there. Again, yeah. You know, and what was the first thing? Well, yeah, it's weird because the interesting thing about our community, if you're not a guy who's some sort of fucking rogue cowboy who just is sort of like, fuck you, I'm doing stand-up. I yeah. don't need any help. But like you were sort of locked in with a community that worked together. So, you know, whatever you went through, you still had all these, you had, you know, you had, uh, you know, Shear and McKay and you had people that knew you and Besser and all this stuff. And, and they were, wor and I think that they were worried, but they weren't, you know. Well, there's nothing anyone picking, can do. There's nothing anyone can do. But what exactly. I'm saying is yeah. that on the other side of it, yeah. when you want to, kind of figure out how to get back in you've got numbers to call well for me yeah well for me it was also like getting over the fear of fear of writing and being a perfectionist and like uh and and also like i feel like i was the last person of my generation of ucb people to move to los angeles and you know i it, it got to be 
about 2011. I know that feeling. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you do. It was like, <laughs> yeah. what the, f you know? Everybody uh, came out here with their sketch groups and their things, and I'm like, I'm not going there. And and I really, you know, and I, you know, God, I'll tell you, you know, I didn't go to um, a, a, a friend's wedding uh, because I was embarrassed, you know? I just was embarrassed about where I was at. I felt like all of my people that I had come up with had surpassed me. So you had the resentment. And it the, wasn't It wasn't resentment, it was shame. You failed. I had failed. Yeah, I wouldn't go to a, a, a couple high school reunions because of Yeah, <laughs> and, and this friend of mine called me and was like, hey man, why'd you, you know, and I cried on the phone and they were like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And and I, I got over, it was really a pivotal, pivotal the, moment. The, the guy who got married called you? Yeah, he called, it's like, why didn't you come? And I was like, I'm a sh I was ashamed. And he's just like, that is all in your fucking head, man. That is and, all and also like head. it's like it was my wedding. It was my wedding. Yeah, <laughs> it was my wedding. What the fuck you? is wrong with you? Yeah, and got you know like made so amends for it. that. You know, yeah. yeah. But then I was like, he's right. You know, yeah. he's right. And you know, and I really had. It's not I was, all about it, you. Yeah, it's not all about me. <laughs> and I, I'd, I'd had this thing of everybody had surpassed me, and yeah. now there's some people I look at. Fuck, I've surpassed them. You know what I mean? Like, well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> At least you got one or two of those. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, Mark, I wouldn't lie, but didn't say it felt nice, you know. Yeah, but sure. like, but I, 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 um, I moved out here, and um, I, I said to Sirius, you know, XM, and I did my job very well there because that's the easiest job in the world. Sure, but it was soul crushing because here's the job: it's going in for an hour a day and going, "Hey, what's up, man? Here's the arcade fire." Yeah. And you, it was like data entry. Yeah, but yeah, and eventually it's not like you're making a fortune there. You're not, you're only, not making a fortune. There's only one guy making money over there. Yeah, there's one guy making money over there. <laughs> um, there's no creative fulfillment, yeah. you know. And um, now, like, it's weird. You, like, you, every time you go to Sirius to do anything, it's like, I'm is probably, this under construction? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I love the people that I work for, but I said to them, listen, I... Um, I am moving to Los Angeles yeah. because I have to move to Los Angeles. Um, I would, I can do my job from Los Angeles. And thankfully they said, yeah, yeah, you can. So I, you know, I immediately moved out here and, um, with the help of, uh, uh, uh Jeff Ulrich, I started working for Earwolf. Like now when needed... did, when did you and Jen Kirkman start up? Okay. So Jen and I, um, and we're not together anymore, but, uh, but you had been on and off for a while. Yeah. We've been on and off and, um, Jen, we met um, at the end of 2011, uh -huh. and it was a weird thing of like out here. Um, no, in New York, yeah. actually, and it was a weird thing of like, hey, we're we're just having fun, and like, oh, now I live in L.A. Uh oh, you know, and um, you know, Jen is is fantastic and mm -hmm. and great, and uh, you know, and, but. I, I don't want to tell her her story, but sure. I'll just say, you know, yeah, we were on and off and it's hard to be a person, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it's sure. really hard to be a person. Oh, yeah. Especially on, like to you two. Yeah. Yeah. Especially us two. You know, yeah. I, 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 I'm sure you understand that. Sure. You're both a lot to handle. Uh huh. <laughs> so um, so we uh, so I, I move out here and I'm helping out at Earwolf and they're like, you can do whatever podcast you want. And yeah. so I start doing a podcast, which does, which is, you know, which one? Fogelmas it's called the Fogelmas Files. Files. Yeah. You don't do it anymore. I don't do it anymore. I stopped doing it in, in 2013 because, um, I got too busy. Yeah. Um, uh, but for me it was like, I want to let people know, hi, I'm here. Yeah. I'm alive. I have some things to say right. and also as an excuse to m meet new friends or sure. also talk to people that I admire. Well, you're over at Earwolf, so you got, you know, this, Ackerman and everybody, yeah. guys you knew from New York. And I want to say Scott Ackerman 
did one of the nicest things ever. He took me out to lunch yeah. in like 2011. And he's just like, what do you really want to do? Yeah. And nobody had ever asked me that question like that before. <laughs> did you know? I, I said, <laughs> I did. I said, I want to, I want to write and I want to make stuff with my friends. Yeah. And what happened was, um, uh, I started doing the podcast, started meeting people and then I got hired to write for Billy on the street and, um, Billy Eichner, Billy Eichner. People like that guy. They love him. He's the best. Yeah. He's just, there's no one funnier. There's no one classier in, in show business. And, um, anyhow, and I understand his, you know, pop culture sensibility sure. and started writing for his show and, and I did well there and I knew that when the show, um, and then his agents were like, oh, we like Jake. We'd like to talk to him. And I made it my business. Um, this probably was December of 2012, 2013. I can't remember, but like I made it, I said, when this show starts airing, I better have a new spec script. Uh huh. And I wrote, um, uh, I wrote a spec script and you know, the agents were like for a show existing, uh, a sh no, no, for, oh, so for an my original, own, script. an original script. Yeah. yeah. I wrote an original script. Yeah. Uh, which was untitled Jake Vogelman's project for right. a while. Um, and it was called, eventually became Start Making Sense. And what happened was um, the agents were like, hey, this is good. Um, and we want to, you know, rep you, but we also think we can sell this. And um, they sent it out to a bunch of production companies and they all responded. And in particular, Red Hour. Yeah. And Ben Stiller's company. Ben Stiller's company. But then Ben read it. And, um, oh yeah. You asked me if I would play. Yes. This is, this is the thing because yeah. Ben read it and I had this call with Ben and he's like, I want to direct this yeah. and I want to pitch this with you. And, um, do you know Mark Marin? And I go, <laughs> yeah. And I wrote this script, you know, I didn't have an actor in mind, but yeah. I needed a voice. Yeah. I needed a voice for the character in this show and your voice was in my head. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, I, I, I knew that you had your own show at IFC at yeah, the time yeah, yeah. and were unavailable, would be unavailable. But I wrote with your voice in my head and it's like, maybe it could be John Cusack. Maybe it could be Steve Coogan. Who knows? But it like a narrator or it was, no, it was, it was the, the lead role. The lead role. Yeah. The, the, you know, and what happens is Ben Stiller attaches himself to direct this and we go out and pitch it and IFC buys it. Yeah. They buy the script. <laughs> yeah. And they order three more. And at the same time, they order I, three uh, backup scripts. Yeah. They, I write half a season right. of a TV show by myself. We, and, and you never made it. No, they didn't make it because I, you know, as I, um, I understand it. They don't have any money. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> not much anyway. <laughs> not much. Um, but they were great to deal with and they were wonderful. But that writing that script got me other jobs. And then, Michael Showalter and David Wayne, I got a call from, um, from my now agents and they said yeah. they're going to do What Hot American Summer as a, as a television series. What well, was the Netflix. Funny or Die story? Well, Funny or Die was just like, come here, write sketches, McKay make stuff. said that? Yeah. Well, McKay had talked to people and Billy in the Street was produced by Funny or Die and it was just like, we should have Jake around to write and direct. Right. And they did. And I really thrived in you that You did a lot of stuff? I did a lot of stuff, but I was only there for, I was there for eight months because I got hired to work on- But you're like in-house at Funny or Die? Yeah, I was so, in-house at Funny or Die, so which you is were, still one of the best jobs I've ever had. It's it's like working at Saturday Night Live with um, a different none, of, none of the pressure and none of the money. and But also like a, a kind of like not a, not a recurring cast necessarily. Not a recurring cast, but like, che hey, hey, Chevy Chase is coming in. Right. And like, you know- To do a thing. To do a thing. So you were I sort of a- segment producer slash director i was a writer director i wrote sketches yeah. and directed sketches there 
And um, interesting. And then I, I had had this script, and then you know, Wet Hot American Summer um, is they gonna, hired you. They hired me, and and that was really interesting because I'm in the movie for ten seconds. I was like nineteen. The new one. No, no the, the original. <laughs> and then the original for ten seconds. Most of it got cut out because it was too disgusting. But um, how they find you at nineteen? They found me at 15 because the state were all those guys were like in their 20s and watching public access. And then I was at MTV. They did my MTV pilot. So to get hired as an adult. They did the Squirt TV pilot. The the entire state. Yes, the entire state came to my bedroom. Interesting how everybody's connected. Yeah. Yeah. But then to get hired as an adult. um, Did they all knew you? So you had one scene in the original Wet Hot American Summer that got cut down. Yeah, they got cut down. And then it was like, but I, but I, um, my agent said, we're submitting you. They yeah. liked my script and yeah. they hired me. It was my staff writing job, first staff writing job. And that ended on a Thursday. And then- um, Which the, which staff writing job? Wet Hot American Summer. That was a staff writing job for a movie? For for Netflix, for the Netflix series. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. The, the first Netflix sure. series. And then um, what happened was Julie Klausner and Billy Eichner um, sold their show to Hulu, Difficult People. I started that on Monday- uh, in New York City and worked, uh, I still work on Difficult People. Um, we're on the third season of that. I'm a consulting producer now. And, yeah. And um, and I, you know, IFC, you know, passed on my thing. And then Kay Cannon called me and was, you know, last year and was like, what's Who's your- that? Kay Cannon's awesome. She wrote at um, uh, 30 Rock for many years. Yeah. And The New Girl. And she wrote uh, both the Pitch Perfect movies. Yeah. And she's like, I've got this Netflix series, Girl Boss, starting, and what's your availability? And I was hired as a co-producer uh, and writer on Girl Boss, and that was so much fun. That comes out on Netflix April 21st, and that's very much the John Hughes side of me. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, it's a an incredible story. Uh, it's based on a true story, but it's definitely embellished and stuff, and then... And then Comedy Central called with the show Corporate, which is coming out later this year. And that was um, some friends of mine, Jake Weissman, Matt Ingebretson, and uh, Pat Bishop had, you know, wrote a script, made a pilot. Yeah. And they, Comedy Central needed a showrunner. They had never made a show before. And so my first show as a showrunner is the show Corporate, which is coming out. So you're like a writer guy. Yeah. Writer, I'm showrunner like, guy. Yeah. Like I'm at the, you know. WGA showrunners meetings, like talking yeah. about, are we striking? Are we not striking? Right. Like that, which is all I've wanted to do is be an executive producer. I want, like when I used to watch Saturday Night Live as a kid, yeah. I didn't want to be in the cast. I wanted Lauren's job. Okay. And I have my own Lauren story. Well, you're my not own quite Lauren, there yet. Well, but I have my own Lauren story. Yeah. Which happened a couple weeks ago. Really? Just a fresh, a fresh Lauren story? It's a fresh Hot Lauren story. Hot off the press? Hot off right. the press. I've been in a room with Lauren Michaels 200 times over my life just by going to SNL after parties and hanging around. New York, yeah. In New York, you yeah. Know? And nobody ever introduced me yeah. to Lorne Michaels. Right. And, you know, with Lorne, you don't go up to him. Right. You know, you you, you just... Uh, you need to be summoned. You need to be summoned. <laughs> so um, I was at um, a party and I'm like... Fuck this. I, I, I see a friend of mine, 
uh, I, I, I see Horatio Sands, and he yeah. goes, "Hey, Lauren's over there. Are you gonna go talk to him as a joke?" Yeah. He goes, "You're gonna go talk to Lauren," and I go, "You know what? I am gonna go talk to him because for two hundred, I've been in a room with him two hundred times. None of you fuckers ever had the courage to introduce me because you're you're all afraid of your jobs or whatever. Yeah. Like he's this mythic figure. I am, yeah. and I do find myself in a conversation with Lauren Michaels. Yeah. And I say, so, Lauren, I'm sorry. I've been in a room with you two hundred times over the years." And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running a show for Comedy Central. I've done this. And I just want to say, shake your hand and say, hey, it's nice to meet you. Yeah. And he goes, that's oh, good. You're speaking up. And I go, yeah. <laughs> and then thank God Elizabeth Banks is there. And she goes, but oh, polite you, but condescending. Polite but condescending. But it gets better. So Elizabeth Banks is like there. She goes, yeah. oh, you don't know Jake? And I'm like, oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I go, no. She goes, no. And I go, so he goes, so is this going well for you? And I go, yeah, man. The yeah, me- it actually is. The meeting with Lorne. And then um <laughs> and then we just started talking, but it it was like it demystified him. I was like, yeah. "Oh, you're just a person." Yeah. You're just you're just you're you're a guy who's done a lot of stuff and Yeah. And he's funny, right? He's funny. Yeah. That's what I was like, "Oh, you're you're just a funny guy." Is this going well for you? Is yeah, so is this going well for you? But I came back and I was like, "Yeah, it is. What am I, you know?" You had nothing to lose, really. I had nothing to lose. Yeah. That's the best that time point. to talk it to anybody. The, it was it, the best way to go through life. It was so fucking freeing yeah. because after all of this stuff that i've been through and like you know childhood trauma and yeah, blah, blah, yeah. Blah, it's like all i've ever wanted to do was make stuff on tv with my friends and now it's like i'm at that point of new goals i'm like i should write a movie or what's a little movie i could make or, yeah you know what i mean but i'm a writer guy good i'm a writer producer well, I, i'm glad we talked because i think the one thing that was um and this has happened with other people there's a couple other people in my life where this is the problem like you know, I've, I've you know known you forever, and you're always around. But in some part of my brain, you're like, "What's that guy do? What's that kid do?" Yeah, no, What's but, kid? but here's he the, like, I know that about you, and <laughs> and I've known that we, I've known for years that we would sit down and yeah. have this chat. And right. I was like, it would happen when it was supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah. But I, you, I know you. You get that, you know. But I have to say, over the years. <laughs> There's that Fogelness kid, but you were, but but you're, but you're kind of not like that anymore because yeah. we were at a, we were at Sarah's party, and I remember you going, "Hey man, you want to meet Jerry Stahl? You never met Jerry Stahl. You got to meet him, right?" Yeah, yeah. And I'm being like, "Jesus Christ, Marin's like just <laughs> taking me over to, like he's, you're not like yeah, I know yeah. you had me placed in this certain way, right? Because you know me since I was eight, yeah. and I also am like, is this kid like talented you're or right. is he like a fucking Vine star? <laughs> like what is this? I know that about you, uh-huh. but but like yeah. actually, I'm pretty fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe you. No, I, I yeah, it it started to change. I'm glad I introduced you to Jerry. That was cool, you know. Hey, you dope guys. Yeah, <laughs> but then, but then we were so, we have the, the, the Stiller connection, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then and then I saw Jen you and, and you Jen. Jen. Well, yeah, then I saw you. With well, that Jake. was years ago with Jen. I was sort of like Jake. You're with Jake. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, but that was the first time. But then I, but then there was you know not not too long ago, and and I we had locked eyes. You're like, oh, so you're, you're, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Was oh, like, right. You're and at a thing, at a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At a, a benefit or whatever, and um and. Uh, you know, every time I've seen you, it's always like, like you. I think it's because of the circumstances you've you've learned. Like, well, he can't be just like a teenager anymore. No, I know, and yeah. I knew you were doing things. It's just well, yeah. I'm listening to Will Arnett, and you know, my name comes up, yeah, and, like, and it was it, yeah. it came up positively. <laughs> no, I, I never had negative feelings. No, really, that's the thing about like I have never. I don't have one of those yeah, like, ah, yeah. oh, fucking Marin was an asshole to me stories. No. I've always liked, you. right? Yeah, because uh, I've always like got 
right. got you and yeah. like you were like you were never because I first of all I probably because I was no threat to you well no but you were just this kid and then like you know it was but like it was funny because when Will said that like it really struck in my it stuck in my head it's sort of like why haven't I talked to that guy yet <laughs> Like he's well, got his perfect story. timing for me. I have three TV shows coming out the next year, so thanks. Yeah, well, you'll do, you'll be doing ads for one of oh, them. Oh, good. I, at least the Comedy Central one, probably. <laughs> yeah, the, you will be doing ads for corporate, and but um, but no, like also just like I've always you know thought of you as like you know you, you look look man you ask on the show all the time who are your guys yeah you know? like you're one of my guys. Oh, you've always been one of my guys, thanks, Mark. Buddy. You really have. Well, I'm glad to talk to you. It was fun. All right, cool. You feel good about it? Yeah. Cool, man. Little Jakey. Jake. Nice talking to him. That's the longest conversation I've ever had with Jake, and uh, I'm glad we had it. Hope you enjoyed that. All right. Oh, man. Am I set up to play guitar? Did I play acoustic guitar already for you? Maybe I'll just do some acoustic. Yeah, I I don't. Okay. Yeah, I will. I, I will.